Maybe you've heard someone say they had to leave an industry because they had a non-compete agreement in place. Or you may have heard someone else say non-compete agreements are never enforceable. In Texas, non-compete agreements exist, and they're very specialized types of contracts. And I'm going to talk about it on this episode of... It's the Keith Law PLLC podcast, and I'm Jason Keith, attorney in Houston, Texas. Keith Law is a Texas-based law firm that helps businesses protect and enhance their competitive advantages by assisting with trademark issues and identifying and protecting trade secrets. The firm's goal is to help businesses prevent and address business problems, and I hope this podcast will do the same. Received wisdom can be wrong. I've often heard folks say that non-compete agreements cannot be enforced. At least as often, I've heard it said that someone changed industries because they had a non-compete agreement in place. Neither of these opposite views, that non-compete agreements are never enforceable or the suggestion that they are hot potatoes to avoid running afoul of, are always right. Many non-competes are unenforceable. On the other hand, since 1989, in Texas, many non-competes are enforceable within a carefully defined limited period of time, limited geography, and limited scope of activity. Before digging in, I want to hit you with the basic requirements. To be enforceable in Texas, a non-compete agreement has to be one, two, and three. One, ancillary to an otherwise enforceable agreement, meaning they can't stand alone. Two, be reasonable in terms of time limit, geography, and the scope of activity to be restrained. And three, be supported by consideration that is reasonably related to an interest worthy of protection, such as trade secrets, confidential information, or goodwill. Check out my previous episode on what is a contract or the related blog post for a detailed explanation of what consideration, what the word consideration means in the context of contract formation. As a reminder, it basically just means an exchange of value. I'll dig into each of these three requirements for an enforceable non-compete in Texas later on in this episode. But first, let's take a step back to get a sense of the competing public policies in support of and in opposition to the permissibility of non-compete agreements in general. And these two public policies are both valuable, and in certain situations, they can be in tension. One is called the freedom to contract, and the other I would call the freedom to compete. In Texas, Competition is generally encouraged and protected, except for narrow exceptions that fall under the umbrella of unfair competition or competition that violates an enforceable contractual promise not to compete. Texas also embraces freedom to contract within certain limits, and among other things, contracts are not enforceable when the subject matter of the contract is illegal or contrary to public policy. So what happens in the face of competing public policies? Rules are created, and like a pendulum, the rules can be perceived as going too far in one direction and then sent in the other direction until they're viewed as going too far in that direction. Freedom to compete is fundamental to modern economies and free societies generally. However, as business became more complex, 
It's been observed that within reason, businesses may have a legitimate business interest to prohibit competition for a limited period of time, such as in certain employment relationships, in the event of the sale of a business, franchising arrangements, and some commercial lease situations. In some states, non-competition agreements, which I'll refer to as non-competes, have been outlawed. You're not allowed to have enforceable non-competes in some states. Also, it appears that the federal government has recently signaled its interest in pushing in that direction as well. But as of now, the Texas statutory exception to its pro-competition general policy can be found in Chapter 15 of the Texas Business and Commerce Code. Now I'm going to move into the three elements required for an enforceable non-compete and dig a little bit deeper into each element. Number one is that enforceable non-competes must be ancillary to an otherwise enforceable agreement. Non-competes are different from confidentiality agreements, non-disparagement agreements, and other employee-restrictive covenant agreements, even though they're usually found in the same document as one or more of these other types of agreements. And this is because to be enforceable, non-competes must be ancillary to an otherwise enforceable agreement. They cannot be enforceable standing alone. Common examples of Otherwise enforceable agreements to which non-competes may be ancillary include confidentiality agreements, employment agreements, franchise agreements, and business sales agreements. If you come across a purported non-compete that stands alone, meaning that it's not ancillary to some other enforceable agreement, then that purported non-compete is unenforceable in Texas under Texas law. But be sure to check for a choice of law provision in the contract. A choice of law provision may reflect that the people signing the contract agreed to be governed, agreed that that document would be governed by another state's law. And that may have an impact on the enforceability or unenforceability of any particular non-compete agreement. Then element two, enforceable non-competes must be reasonable as to time limit geography, and the scope of activity to be restrained. Because a covenant not to compete is a restraint of trade, it's enforceable only to the extent that it's reasonable. The non-compete must contain reasonable limitations as to time, geographic area, and scope of activity to be restrained that don't impose a greater restraint on the promisor than is necessary to protect the goodwill or other legitimate business interest of the business. However, an unreasonable or overbroad non-compete that's otherwise enforceable may be reformed by the court so that it is reasonable and becomes enforceable as reformed. Usually courts are not able to change a contract. They either enforce the contract or deem the contract unenforceable, but the statute governing non-competes expressly grants this power to courts to reform the agreement when the only problem with the agreement is it doesn't meet the reasonableness standard as to time, geography, or scope of activity to be restrained. Then element three, enforceable non-competes must be supported by what I would call scrutinized consideration. So consideration, just as a reminder, 
check the what is a contract episode and blog blog post for more detailed explanation of what consideration is. But generally, consideration means an exchange of value. But when it comes to a non-compete, the exchange of value has to be a little bit more particular. And I might say that what type of value constitutes sufficient consideration to support a non-compete's enforceability has been the subject of debate among Texas courts since the inception of non-competes being permissible under the statute in 1989. Prior to 2011, to be enforceable, non-competes had to be supported by consideration that passed a Texas Supreme Court-designed two-part test that's not worth going into in this episode because technically it's no longer the rule. However, I will say that in checking the most recent case law governing adequate consideration, it appears that some courts are still using the old rule. If you want to have a conversation about it, schedule a call. But I'm not going to go into details about the old rule in this episode. Because in 2011, the Texas Supreme Court loosened its requirement for sufficient consideration that can support an enforceable non-compete to a requirement that the consideration be, quote, reasonably related, close quote, to the business interests to be protected, such as confidential information, trade secrets, or business goodwill. So the value exchanged by the person receiving the non-compete had to be reasonably related to whatever it was the person who wanted the non-compete, the business who wanted the non-compete, was trying to protect with that non-compete. Technically, that means you can't just say, here's a $100 bill in exchange for you signing this non-compete. Common examples of consideration supporting a non-compete include providing access to the business's trade secrets after signing the agreement, not before. If you've already given access to the trade secrets before they sign the agreement, and the value that you're purporting to give them is access to what you've already given them, your trade secrets, that's not new consideration supporting the agreement. So trade secrets provided after signing the agreement can, under the right circumstances, be considered reasonably related to the business interest to be protected by the non-compete, providing specialized training, so promising to provide specialized training to whoever's signing the non-compete, can, under the right circumstances, be sufficient consideration to support an enforceable non-compete, but the promise needs to be made to provide that training after they sign, and then the training actually has to be provided. And then one of the most recent expansions, or clarifications, I would say, by the court of what can be considered sufficient consideration because it's reasonably related to the legitimate business interest to be protected is stock options. The reasoning there is if the employee is given stock options in exchange for promising not to compete for some amount of time after leaving the business, those stock options are reasonably related to the business's goodwill, which is being sought to be protected by the non-compete because the stock options paid to the employee make that employee an owner of the business who has a vested interest in maintaining and supporting the goodwill of the business because they're now an owner. So even though stock options came close to being a bare financial form of consideration, the here's a $100 bill in exchange for you signing the non-compete, 
The court found that it was sufficient consideration to support an enforceable non-compete because the stock options incentivize the employee to protect the business's goodwill. Because, like I said, as owner of the stock, the employee became an owner invested in the company's goodwill. Note that there are special rules for physicians and attorneys, which I'm not going to go into in this episode. This episode is aimed at providing the most basic overview of non-competes, and special cases exist, such as special rules for physicians and attorneys. But going into those rules exceeds the scope of this episode. So why are non-competes important in certain circumstances? Non-competes can help protect a business's competitive advantages. Even though non-compete agreements cannot serve as a bear restraint on trade, they can be used to protect the business's goodwill and enhance the protection of its trade secrets and other confidential information. I'll link in the show notes to earlier episodes where I go into explanations of trade secrets and misappropriation of trade secrets. Also, third parties, meaning someone who's not someone who signed the non-compete, someone like a competing business, can, under certain circumstances, be exposed to liability for employing someone who violates their non-compete agreement. I'll link in the show notes to an earlier episode and related blog post where I discuss intentional interference and participatory liability by a competitor with current and former employees. In the event of a sale of a business, the sophisticated buyer will be interested in including an assignment of covenants not to compete, non-compete agreements, to protect the new owner, the buyer, from the employees just leaving the business to compete with the new owner. However, the employees need to consent to the assignment unless the agreement itself says that it's assignable, in which case they'll be deemed to have already consented, or consent will be inferred if the employee continues to work for the new employer, even if the non-compete doesn't say it's assignable. Takeaways from this episode, even though non-competes can be a valuable tool to help a business protect its competitive advantages, they are strictly governed. Notably, enforceable non-competes must be connected to another enforceable contract, must be reasonable in terms of limitations as to time, geography, and scope of activities restrained, and they have to have a special level of consideration or exchange of value required for them to be considered enforceable by a court. Please subscribe to the Keith Law PLLC podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Check the show notes for information related to this episode. And if you have a question about this episode, email me or schedule a call using my Calendly link found in the show notes. It's also found on my website at www.keith.law. When you use the Calendly link to schedule a call, please include information so that I can have a chance to prepare for your question before I call you at the time you selected. Disclaimer, this audio is for informational purposes only and should not be misinterpreted as legal or other professional advice. If you have a legal question, you should consult with an attorney in your jurisdiction. This is Jason Keith thanking you for listening to the Keith Law PLLC podcast.